I was very thankful that I had two weeks to study this lesson. Because there's a lot in here. Whenever we have a lot of red letters, there's a lot in it. So we have to remember we are living in a war zone. It's a cosmic war zone. And it's being played out on the stage of human history. Jesus has warned us that he brings conflict to this. It's a battlefield that we're on. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Mark 1, 24. Jesus is talking to a man with an unclean spirit, and he cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Colossians 2.15. This is a good one. Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. And finally, in Hebrews 2:14, he says, "Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through, through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So it's a warfare, and Jesus has warned us that when he comes, he's coming to bring a division. And so in this lesson in John 8, we are starting to see the great divide. It is getting stronger and stronger. This lesson, starting with the first part of verse 8, is a story of a woman that was brought before him, and they were going to stone her. When we get to the end of chapter 8, what do we find? We find the Pharisees and the scribes picking up stones to stone him, to convict him. So the tension is growing and it's mounting. In the beginning is the stoning, and in the middle we have three truly, trulies sandwiched between those two horrific condemnations, wanting to stone, wanting to destroy because of sin, because of hatred. Jesus says in 34, a truly, truly, let me get to here, in 34. Truly, truly, I say to everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And then in 51, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. So right there, truly, truly, everyone's a slave to sin. Second, truly, truly, if you keep my word, you will not see death. And the final, truly, truly, he has in um, 58, I say to you before Abraham, I was, he is God. 
And these are profound statements. And this is why Christ came. Because we are in sin and death is going to be ours if we do not believe in him and keep his word because he is God. So it's the great hyperbola that comes down where Christ was on in heaven in his glory and left there to come to earth to be here to die for our sins and to be resurrected again and Christ and God the Father is going to bring him up to glory again. So we know that when he came his own people did not receive him. And so let's start the lesson with this. 8 well, actually, the last verse in chapter 7, they went each to his own house. Remember, they were, he had fed 5,000 people. He claimed to be the bread of life. Um, they just ended the, the, the seven weeks of the Feast of Booths and all the celebration that comes from God taking care of them while they were in the desert. And he just got done proclaiming that he's the living water. Anyone that comes to him shall not thirst um, but will have eternal life and rivers of righteousness flowing through them. So it's the end of this celebratory time, and he's teaching, and he's making these profound statements. And they each go home to their own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives because he didn't have any place to go. He didn't have any home of his own. The humility of who he was Luke 2, 7 says, At his birth, his mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And later on, Jesus told a would-be follower in Matthew 8, 20, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't come here to make a home. He came here to cause division. So verse 2, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. He was the main spectacle here. He goes to the temple, and he teaches them early in the morning. And we find out that the part of the temple he was at is the treasury. We find that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was a time now to teach. Nothing's perchance. It's not like he got up and said, oh, I think I'll go down and teach today. No, everything was laid out for him. And he's going to teach. And the lesson that he's going to teach in this chapter 8 is a contrast of light and dark, a contrast of truth and lies, a contrast between the difference, the difference there is in wisdom. John 3, 13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's a wisdom out there that's demonic. goes on to say, for where jealousy and self... Okay, um, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown. Two types of wisdoms out there. We're seeing it today. <coughs> Sorry, when I cough, I should probably cover this, huh? Okay. <clears throat> 
<coughs> okay. <clears throat> See if I can do this, because I'm pushing my voice a little bit stronger. See if I can get through this. <clears throat> So carrying on, then he's down, he's sitting in the temple area in the treasury. And what happens? The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in idolatry. <clears throat> and placing her in the midst, they said to him, <clears throat> Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of idolatry. Where's the man? You all probably thought of that, didn't you? Where's the man? If she was caught in the act, then he was there. But we know that the wisdom of the world is always going to have a little bit of a tainted, a false, is a little bit of truth in there mixed in. That's how Satan works with his wisdom. There's just an element of truth, but there's lies that are interwoven. They go on to say, now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This is, they said this to test him, <clears throat> that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So these scribes have the worldly wisdom. They were experts in interpreting the law. The Pharisees were known for their strict adherence to the Mosaic law. So they were coming in, and they're going to not test him. They are plotting a trap for him. Trapping him with the worldly wisdom that they had they were up against the, the Son of God who has wisdom from above. The seventh commandment forbids idolatry. And Leviticus 20.10 says that it is the death penalty for both the man and the woman caught in the act. Jesus upheld the Old Testament condemnation of idolatry. We see that in Matthew 19. Jesus even took it further to say that even if a man lusts for somebody, a woman in his heart, in his attitude, that he conceives it. That's bad enough. So they're going to trap him. They're going to see. If she was caught in the act, and here she was, what's going to happen to her? The trap is, if Jesus objected to stoning her, then he'd be guilty of opposing the law. If he agreed with them to stone her, then his reputation for compassion towards sinner is gone. How does compassion and love that Christ have, how does that play in with justice? We see that all the time. If God is a God of love, how can he condemn people to hell? All the time we see this. The trap that they set up becomes the lesson to teach them how divine justice and mercy are harmonized. What does he say? Doodling in the dirt. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Let him who has the first among you without sin. And once more, he bent down and wrote in the ground. He stands up in that whole temple area. The Pharisees and the scribes and the woman that was there and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Who in that crowd was the one without sin? Jesus. One by one, they were convicted of what was going on. Only Jesus Christ is the only one who is without sin. He's the only one who could have satisfied God's punishment for sin. 
Those who put their faith in him are justified. In Jesus Christ, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. And the psalmist has a beautiful thing that he says, In Christ, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Jesus Christ is the answer to the dilemma that they're, they're trapping him with. How can you have justice and how can you have mercy together? It's faith in Jesus Christ. It seems like he's ignoring them, doesn't it? Standing up, bending down, doodling in the dirt with his finger. What's going on with that? Some ideas can be this. I love the body language. I don't do any of my sessions on Zoom because I need to see body language. It says so much. Don't miss out on this. He was probably teaching and people were standing around him. He was probably sitting in a chair. So when he bends down and he doodles in the dirt and he stands up and he says something to them and he goes back down and doodles in the dirt. And in a minute, we're going to find out that he stood up and talked to her. We just came from last week's celebration of what? The feasts of all the lights. I mean, all the, the, the river of waters and the living water and all that kind of stuff. And the, the priests running around the altars and pouring out the water, living waters. So if we go to Jeremiah 17, 13, it says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel... Who's that? Jesus Christ. All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Don't you love it when Scripture comes alive like that? Could be very well. We're speculating a little bit, but those Pharisees and scribes knew about Jeremiah's writing. They knew that. What was he writing in the dirt? Was he writing the names of these people who would condemn him? Truth cuts like a sword. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to divide the soul of, and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He lays it right out there. These people are convicted Verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Everyone's gone. They've all left. All the ones who were going to accuse her. I mean, there are people still standing around watching, but the, the Pharisees that brought her in have left. And he's standing before her, and the word he uses for woman is a respectful, polite. It's the same word that Jesus used to, to address his mother. No one has condemned you. Now go and sin no more. Forgiveness does not give us a license to sin. Forgiveness is a turning around and, and, and struggling and trying to be holy and to live the right way. Jesus is the answer for all the sin in the world. The true light 
coming into the world, setting free. This woman was now free to go. Go and sin no more. All right. With that story, we go into some phenomenal things that Jesus is claiming about himself in verse 12. And remember, he's in the temple. He's in the temple and in the treasury. It says in verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The treasury was also known as the court of the women. It was as far into the temple that a woman was permitted to go. Okay? They could only come so far. In this treasury or the court of women is about 13 uh, trumpet-shaped places, boxes, kind of, where you can put your money, and you donate your money. And on each box, I keep thinking I have that thing on my face that I've got to go like this. In each box, you can go and donate money, and it says it's, this is for this, and this is money for this, and this is money for this. Thirteen of those boxes around there. It was a very public place. There was a lot of people in there. It was a good place to teach because they were within earshot of the Sanhedrin. Also in this court of women, there were four large uh, candelabras, huge candelabras. So during the day, during the Feast of Booths, they would have the, the ceremony of the pouring of the water in the pitcher. Every night for seven nights, they would have a, a celebration with a pillar of fire. Um, the candelabras were lit and the people would light their torches from the candelabras and dance around and sing in remembrance of how, how God also took care of them and guided them during the night by the flame. Okay? So this is very important to know because we just had the living waters with the pitcher of water poured out. And now we're going to go into this area with the candelabras where the people had been celebrating for seven nights with fire praising God and thanking him for being their guidance in the night. And Jesus comes in and he says, what? Boom. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Boy, they are, he is really ticking these people off. He is now claiming to be God. He's the, it is, I am the light of the world. This is the second of seven I am's with a metaphor. This is truth that he's speaking. And these Pharisees knew this. Because David, saying in Psalms 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah 60 says this about revel in, the, in um, the new world. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for blindness, brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light. There won't be any sun or moon in heaven. The Lord himself will be our light. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim it to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is pronouncing he is God. He is the light of the world. Clearly claiming to be Israel's Messiah. Sent by God as the light to mankind. Whoa, the opposition is getting very thick now. 13. So the Pharisee said to him, you, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You know, when people are stuck in unbelief, 
There's no amount of evidence that can convince them. No amount of evidence. I don't know if you've been watching any of the, the fraud stuff that's been happening in, the, the, in Missouri and the, the public hearings that they've been happening about people coming forward and presenting the fraud that they've seen. And people are still saying there's no evidence, there's no evidence. If someone is truly stuck in a belief system, they are blinded, and no matter wh what kind of compelling evidence there is, they're just not going to believe it. But Jesus answers them and says in verse 14, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from or where I'm going, and you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but, the, but I and the Father judge together. He goes on to talk about two witnesses bearing together. He is saying he is true. What he says and does is truth, and they're not going to understand it. Obviously, if only one person says something that is true, if something is true and only one person acknowledges it, that doesn't change whether it's true or not. You don't need 10 people to make it true. If it's not a lie until you have 10 people come forward and say this is true, truth stands alone. It's not altered by who does or doesn't know it. If I can stand up here and say that, that poinsettia is not red, it's not red, it's not red, you're, you're crazy, it's not red. But if I do it long enough, and we'll talk about that at the end, I can gaslight you into it. And that's what we have to be thinking about in today's world. So truth stands alone. Jesus, claiming to be God, claiming oneness with the Father, he's answering their, their, their argument with the thing that irritates them the most, the fact that he is God. He was telling them that they were judging from the flesh. Their worldly wisdom is of the flesh. Their, their wisdom is coming from a fallen world, from fallen men. The base is lies. Who's the father of the, who's the prince of the world? Who runs the world? Satan does. He runs the world. God intervenes. God holds Satan back. But he's, Satan's got a lot of leeway here. But believers have a spiritual understanding because believers are new creatures in Christ. Believers become spiritually alive. We have a heart of flesh. Our mind is being transformed. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, From now on, therefore, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now we look at each other through the eyes of Christ. There's forgiveness. There's encouragement. If we were a bunch of non-believers in here, we'd be treating each other very differently. For one thing, we wouldn't be here studying God's word. The contrast is becoming very stark between the people who rejected Christ and the people who were starting to accept him. Verse 21, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me, but you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you can't come. Division, I'm going someplace and you can't come. And he's told them this before, but he adds in here this time that you will die in your sins. Oof. Those who reject Christ will die in their sins. He will go to glory 
they're not going to glory. He is really laying out truth to these arrogant religious leaders. And remember, he's talking to them, but in reality, because what he's saying to them is, you're not getting this. You guys don't understand. You know why you don't get understand? Because you don't have the word of God in you. You don't have the love of God in you. So he's not really tell, talking to them to persuade them. Who he's really talking to was his audience, those around him who were starting to believe. So therefore, when we read this, he's speaking to us. Most of the world isn't going to believe us. Most of the world's going to think we're crazy. And most of the world, we have to understand, will hate us because they really were starting to hate who he was. So they're insulting him. They're attacking him. They're just going at it. So they comment to when he says, I'm going to go someplace you can't go. Snidely, they say, in verse 22, is he going to kill himself? Because he says, where he's going, we won't be able to come. The Jews believed that if someone committed suicide, they were going to go to hell. That was it, bottom line, they're going to hell. So obviously, they were all going to go to heaven in glory because they were, that was their birthright to do that. So if he's not going to go there, he must be going to hell. And the way he's going to get there, because he's a Jew, is probably he's going to kill himself which is not true. If someone commits suicide, it's not true. The only unpardonable sin is um, rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So there's two different places to go, two different origins that are here. Jesus says to them in verse 23, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless... Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the only escape is belief in Jesus Christ. The only way for eternal life. They're willfully ignorant. They're self-righteous. In verse 25, they say to him, who are you? Who are you to talk to us that way, basically, is what they're saying. The arrogance of these people, so lost in their, their blindness, their spiritual unbelief. Who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. There's nothing new here, you guys. I have much more to tell you about you, much more to judge. And he could. He could have stood there and he could have listed all the things, all the reasons they're going to die in their sins and all the, the um, pride and the ambition, the hypocrisy and the, the hate that they have and the malice against the truth and the obstinate unbelief in their hearts. But he doesn't. I have much to say about you, much to judge, but he who sent me is true. I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They do not believe him. They do not understand what he has been speaking to them about the Father. They don't get it. They can't get it. They don't have spiritual ears and a spiritual heart to understand it and accept it. But it says, they did not understand him. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. And again, he's claiming oneness with the Father. And in verse 30, don't miss it. It says, he, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many were listening and believed in him. And then he goes and he turns it to them in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, he's now addressing them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Believing in Christ is the initial point to recognize the truth, those who recognize the truth and don't do anything about it is a dangerous place to be. You get the truth, you believe it, acting on it is a lifelong changing thing. A saving faith encompasses an entire person. He says, abiding in his word, staying with him. They answered him. Well, before I get that, let me go a little bit more into abiding. Abiding in his word, his word, his, what he says, his, his, his scriptures. Um, true disciples are doers of the word. They're not just hearers. Throughout John, we have many references. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Whoever keeps his commandments, in 1 John, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Also in 1 John. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then not just keeping his word because, oh, it's the thing I have to do. I guess I can't, you know, lie because um, that's a bad thing. But loving his word, Psalms 119, with all my heart I will observe your precepts. Oh, how I love your law. Your law is my delight. So there's a desire to be obedient to God. Knowing the truth and applying the truth. This is who Jesus was talking about to them there. Not just believing he's the son of God and died for them, but living it out. Okay, so these back to these Jewish unbelievers that are challenging him in verse 33 they answered him we are offspring of Abraham and we never have been enslaved anyone how is that you say you will be you will become free if we believe in you well there's not true what they were saying because they were in physical uh, slavery with the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylons and currently they were under the oppression of the Romans so they were trying to allude to a spiritual freedom that they had because they were of the line of Abraham. They were united to God because they were related to Abraham. And Jesus says to them, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. doesn't matter what your bloodline is. He goes on and he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. In other words, Jesus Christ is a son of God and he has inherited um, the inheritance from the father. And he forgives us and we are in line and become free and we are allowed to get that inheritance also. So only the son 
can set somebody free. The light, the true light, the truth, he's coming into this world to share that with us, and those who believe in him will be free. The truth will set you free indeed. All right, he goes on with more lessons. In 37, he says this. Hey, you guys, I know you're the offspring of Abraham. I know that. I know you're related to Abraham. He's validating that. But he says, yet you seek to kill me because your word finds no place, my word finds no place in you. He's telling them that what you're doing, you're not behaving like you're Abraham's children because Abraham would never kill me. Abraham would never believe lies. Abraham would never spread lies. If you truly know Abraham and are his spiritual children, if you believe in me, you would accept, if you were Abraham's children, you would accept me because Abraham looked for me and longed for me. If we look at Romans 9, 6 to 7, Paul says, Not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Again, Jesus is saying, if you are truly a son of God, you would believe in Jesus Christ, his son, whom he sent, and you would be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Because if you are just a doer of the word, a hearer of the word and not a doer, you are deceiving yourselves. That's what James 1.22 talks about. Abraham was a beautiful example of godly love. By faith, Abraham obeyed and left his country into who knows where he was going in faith. But Abraham was not a murderer. And Abraham obeyed and loved the truth, and Abraham welcomed God. So Jesus is telling them, you're really not sons of Abraham in, in the spiritual sense because you're not behaving like him. They claimed to be his children, but they were not acting like they were children. It's not a physical union, it's a spiritual saving faith that, that it makes us true believers in God. And true children of God are characterized by a love for the Son and obedient to his word. Children of Satan do not understand the truth. Children of Satan are murderers and liars. And Jesus calls them out for that in verse 44. You are a father of the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desire. If he, he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. He lies, a liar and a murderer. There's only two ways to be related. Unredeemed man, no faith in Christ, you're just going to die in sins and just live out and live lies and murderous thoughts. And you don't have to actually act on it. You just think about it in your heart, hatred and malice and everything else. But when Jesus Christ grabs hold of you and repents and you give your life to him, he takes you from the dominion of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of the son he loves. And he gives us a new heart. And we can understand his word, and his truths are opened up to our thinking. The battle lines are drawn here. 
in the temple that day. Jesus confronts his enemies head on. In 48, the Jews answered him, You are not right in saying that you, you are, are you not right, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now remember when we were talking about the Samaritans, that would be like the worst insult ever a Jew could give another Jew is to refer to them as a Samaritan. That's like you are just a low life. And not only that, you have a demon. The contrast here between who they are and who Christ is is unbelievable. They are outraged at Jesus. They are cutting and insulting him, saying he's demon-possessed, mocking him. And they're doing all of this in the face of full revelation, fully revealed who Jesus is, the words that are coming out of his mouth, and they are just mocking him. And um, when they do that, there's a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 4 to 8, that talks about when somebody has been given full revelation and yet so stuck in their unbelief. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying a foundation of, re- okay, go on, not for, uh, repentance from the dead works of, of faith toward God. It goes on in verse 4 of chapter 6. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Now, not a believer. We're not, I'm not talking about losing your salvation here. I'm just talking about someone who has been exposed to full revelation and understands it to have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. So these Pharisees and scribes and all the others in the crowd that were hearing all this and not believing, it's a very dangerous place to be. For those of us in today's world that has the word of God and understands it and was raised in the church and know it and don't bend the knee to Christ, it's a dangerous place to be. He says that they dishonored him. They're claiming that he is seeking his own glory. If Jesus was going to seek his own glory, he would have never come down from there, right? He had it made up there. And besides, I don't think there's anything that we can seek our own glory. If I stood up here and said how wonderful I am and, you know, and all this kind of crazy stuff, what is that? That's not glory. That's not glory. That, that, that it is, you can't even do that. You can't even, you can seek your own glory, but you're not going to get it. Glory is something that is given to you. Does that make sense? We don't get it. We can't manufacture it. We can be prideful and arrogant, but that is not glorifying at all, right? So glory, the true sense of the beauty of glory, is something that's bestowed on a person. So they didn't even know what they were talking about because their wisdom is from from the earth. Philippians 2, 5. 
have this in mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't stay up there grasping to that. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what this is all about, glorifying him and for what he did to save us. But they doubted it. They weren't buying into it. They get hung up on, you know, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And they say, Aha, we got you now, because Abraham died. They are so in the, in the dust with their thinking. Mocking him. And he'd say to him, even the prophets died, they said, who do you make yourself out to be? They despised him. And Jesus answered them in 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. You don't know him. If I were to say to you that, that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. So the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old. Have you not seen Abram? Do you see how blinded they are? And he says it one more time to them in 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I was. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus disappears. The hatred toward him. They were so prideful of keeping God's honor, and yet their blinded faith, unbelief, lack of faith, they were accusing God himself of blaspheming. Two ways, two ways to, to approach Jesus Christ, to believe him and bow to him and worship, or to harden your heart and reject him. Jesus warned them, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let me just end it with this. It is the whole human history is lies and truth. Revealing the truth. Satan from the beginning was a liar and a murderer and he's done everything he can to, to, to corrupt mankind, to let us not get the truth. He tries to squelch the truth all the way around. And we see it today with lies and truth. 
When I was studying this, it was like, boom, this is in today's news headline. Boom, what's going on out there? Where do we find truth? Where, there's lies everywhere we look. They say there's lying. There's their fraud, their fraud, fake news. Where do you go for such things? We get confused, don't we? And I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> but... <laughs> I was looking at some things this morning on my little news thing just because I want to keep abreast of it. And the battle that's out there for the next president is overwhelming. We live in unprecedented times. This is a time, I don't know how soon he's coming, but nothing like this globally. The world is watching our elections. A lot is at stake here. But not a lot has changed since John 8 happened in, in Israel, where Satan is squelching the truth and lying and murdering and filling people with hate and fear. And so I was looking at something today, and I read something that Lynn Wood wrote, said. Does anyone know who Lynn Wood is? Thank you. Ladies, we've got to get educated. Lynn Wood is an attorney that is fighting for our freedom to have a fair election. He's fighting with Sidney um, Powell, um, who was the attorney for General Michael Flynn. General Michael Flynn? Know him. Who was a Christian and a patriot. He's a God-fearing man. I don't know about Sidney Powell, but I know Lynn Wood is. I know... Um, Jenna Ellis is also who is one of Trump's attorneys with um, Giuliano because she's even posted that. She said, they try to take my Christianity away from me. They won't do it. They won't shut me up. On Christ the solid rock I stand and I love America. She's one of the attorneys that's on Trump's team. And we're not talking about Republicans and Democrats because we've got corrupt people on both sides here. I want you to know that. But Lynn Wood said this this morning, I thought, well, God, is this, you're telling me to say this now? He says, this is a battle, and he said this, I think, two nights ago when he was at a, like a rally to get the people to um, come forward and share their stories on what they heard about the fraud on election night and the, the false ballots and the people that were doing crazy things. And he said this, this is a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between truth and lies. So let me just say this. Linwood is somebody, he's the attorney. If you remember back in 1996 during the Atlantic uh, Olympics, Summer Olympics, there was a man, a security guard named Richard Jewell, who was convicted of uh, uh, planting a bomb at the Olympics. He was just a simple kind of guy. And Lynn Wood really was a nothing attorney. There's a really good movie out. I don't know the name of it. Really good movie out to watch about that story. He represents him, and he got in there, and he realized how corrupt the government, the FBI, and, and I mean, all that stuff is. And so he won it. Then he also went on. This is more recent. Lynn Wood also represented um, Nicholas Sandman, who was the Catholic student who had that confrontation with a Native American, and then the Washington Post and everybody defamed him and said he was bad and everything. Linwood was his attorney, and they got him for lots of money. 
So Lynn Wood, a Christian man, is fighting for truth. I just want to let you girls know and guys know some places where you can get some of the truth, okay? Epoch Times is a wonderful place to get that. I'm going to leave these two here. I only have two. Go ahead and take them. You can subscribe to this. This is just a, a r- truth I'm talking about. My husband, Ken, was in radio for 35 years. and the end of his career, he was a news anchor for the number one station in Los Angeles. And even in his time, and this was 15 years ago, 20 years ago when he did this, even back then, he would have to, the, 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 the news people would give him the copy to read on the air, and he would have to fix it because it was always slanted. He was even slanted back then. Okay, so the news media is not news anymore. The days of Walter Conkright are gone. News is now op-ed. News is now something that I want to say is gaslighting. You know what gaslighting is? Gaslighting is from a movie where a, a man was w- trying to make his wife crazy, so he kept turning down the gas lights on the, in the house saying, oh, no, 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 they're not turning down, they're not turning down. Gaslighting, a definition of gaslighting is this. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or group, making them question their own memory, perception, or judgment. It may evoke changes in them such as cognitive dissonance or a low self-esteem, rendering the victim additionally dependent on the gaslighter for emotional support and validation. I don't always go to this dictionary, but the Urban Dictionary had a good definition. Gaslighting. Psychological definition of gaslighting is an increasing frequency of systematically withholding factual information from and or providing false information to the victim, having the gradual effect of making them anxious, confused, and less able to trust their own memory and perception. That's what happened today. Isn't that what's happening today? This is a news source that will accurately give you the facts. They're not, it's not a political thing. It's actual facts. And there's more of them out there. One America News is another one that you can look at. You can subscribe to this. It comes online every day, and once a week you get a hard copy newspaper. But I want to encourage you, ladies. I'm not up here pushing for but these are times where we really need to find out where the truth is, what we are being told. And I don't want any of us to be told lies that are out there and to start to curb our lives and live in fear. Christ came to set us free, and we are free indeed. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you can, you will guide us. We know you love us. You know you care for us. You have given us a mind. You have given us wisdom from above. Almighty God, help us to tap into that wisdom, to follow you, to glorify you in a dark, ever-darkening world. In the name of Christ, amen.